0: I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guestwork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. My guest this week is Holly Grant. Holly is an award-winning Pilates instructor and personal trainer She's the owner of a London studio called Pilates PT, which you can find online at www.pilatespt.co.uk. And she's also the creator of the Model Method Training Programme, which we talk about in this episode. And Holly used to be a pastry chef, but she's very much against dieting and believes that a strong, functional and flexible body is the key to lifelong wellness. She has a really down-to-earth personality, very much no-bullshit approach to training and wellness, and she's got a strong social media following as a result. She's a contributing fitness writer for Psychologies magazine and a global brand ambassador for Sweaty Betty. So enjoy this episode. If you've got any questions or feedback on anything that Holly and I talk about, you can contact me at leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, at bodyshopperformance.com and everything we discuss, including my TED talk, which is about why fitness is more important than weight, and I think this is a kind of big theme of this episode will all be found in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Holly Grant, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, It's a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. And what I'd love to talk about is fundamentally around the challenges that women face with fitness, with strength, and maybe we can bust some myths around that as we go. But let's start with your philosophies and what you do. Just talk to us a bit about that, please, and introduce yourself.
1: Sure. So I'm Holly Grant. I am a personal trainer, Pilates instructor. I've got a couple of studios in London, completely one-to-one. I have a book, which is really lucky to release last December. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. I have a podcast as well. So it's very weird being on this side of the uh, microphone today. And yeah, basically, I guess for me, it's more about what my philosophy is. So I'm on a mission to try to change women's perception of exercise and their relationship with their bodies and exercise. So I grew up with a dad who was in special forces and I saw exercise as something that you did because you wanted to be strong and be the best and look after yourself and obviously when I went off to university I realized that wasn't every woman's relationship with exercise and that there was you know a lot of disordered views on their body. And when we're a beauty I actually had always wanted to be a pastry chef. So I became a pastry chef and realized that actually made me very unhappy. So after a year, I started working a Pilates Studio and fell in love with Pilates because it's all about function and strength and form and technique. And it's not about trying to lose a stone or drop a dress size. And so that's kind of where my career in exercise started. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then it kind of all went from there, really. Right. Brilliant. And what was it like growing up with a father
0: who's obviously clearly at the very peak of his fitness and in an ultra high performance environment?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, my parents went together and the problem with them great relationship. So he was away a lot. But whenever I was with him, exercise was always kind of part of what we did. We would go play squash or we would go for a bike ride, just very active, which was Slightly opposite to my mum, who was of that generation of, you know, if they wanted to lose weight, they would diet. And she wasn't a very big fan of exercise. So I kind of got my love of exercise from my dad. And then I also went on to go to a military boarding school, which the purpose of that school was so that kids didn't have to keep changing schools. Because obviously when you're in the military, you move house a lot. And that again was also a huge emphasis on exercise and sports and all from a performance kind of uh, side of things rather than a weight loss aesthetic side. Mm. So I think I'd sort of already formed my relationship with exercise that's kind of carried through. Whereas I just, I think a lot of people, their experience of exercise is maybe pee at school where they might be the last person to get picked for the team or the boys leave them out, or it's something that's not seen as being very cool to be good at or it's quite intimidating they leave school they don't exercise again and it's only when they're older and kind of diet culture starts to kick in that they sort of abuse exercise really I don't think that the current culture that we're in necessarily forms positive relationships with exercise yeah
0: yeah I completely agree I mean just just saying a step after so when you were at school and when you were exercising what kind of things were you doing
1: I was a sprinter. So I absolutely loved and I guess was best 100 meter sprint. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm quite fast twitch, very bouncy, very jumpy, very quick. Whereas I was I actually couldn't swim until I was about 14, 15. So yeah, loved squash, anything that was quick, athletics, I was on the hockey team, netball team. I don't know. I just really enjoyed it. I would go for a run in the evening after I'd finished kind of homework and things. And it was just a very active lifestyle, really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you had it ingrained from the author, a very positive role model that that sport was about function. And I think more importantly, about how you feel. I did a TEDx talk. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to watch it called Why Fitness is More Important Than Weight. And I had a little bit of a to and fro when I was putting the talk together with the TEDx people in that I wanted to call it why fitness is more important than fatness. Mm. But they thought it was clickbaity. They didn't want the word fatness in there for fear of offending people, which I thought was a little bit much. But I bounced off a few people and the ones that had actually lost a lot of weight agreed. They didn't want the word fatness used. So maybe the TEDx guys were right. But ultimately, TEDx won over for me. So it was called why fitness is more important than weight. But there's a real focus in there on the importance of functional fitness and about using exercise to change how you
1: feel about yourself and about the world and about everything in it. How much do you agree with that? hundred percent literally 100% so when I was a pastry chef and um, it's all I'd ever wanted to be from a very young age and I got an apprenticeship with someone I'd always wanted to work for and I thought I've got it made and it was really long hours which is fine because to be honest now I've got my own business it's very similar but it was a really toxic environment I was occasionally unwell and I had to keep working so like kidney infection keep working abscess under my teeth keep working it was a really awful environment and after a year I had actually really bad depression which is why I just one day never went back in again. And I think when you have depression, you can very easily slip in and out of it. And for me, exercise is the one thing that keeps everything a bit more of a level kind of playing field. There's less of the ups and downs. And when I feel myself getting a little bit low, I really find that exercise is an immediate mood lifter so the one thing that I use is I go to power yoga it's like a studio that's near my studio I really enjoy it love the teachers there and when I feel that I am at the risk of burnout or I've got a big event coming up or I'm just really run down I'll go there and I walk in and I just absolutely feel the weight lift off my shoulders And that's the only reason I'm going there. And I just feel like a new person when I walk out. And I think the saddest thing about women not being in love with exercise is that they are missing out on those amazing other benefits. Yeah. And lots of people just don't realize those benefits are out there. They see exercise as very similar to dieting, something that we have to do because we've overeaten at Easter or we're going on holiday or we're getting married. And I just think that's the biggest shame ever.
0: Yeah, I'm a qualified PT, same as you, although we do something slightly different now. And I do get frustrated when I see PTs marketing themselves with wedding packages. In fact, one of my first clients I trained, I trained her for about a couple of years. And then she told me that her partner had proposed to her, and other people had said, so is that why you're doing the PT then, to get ready for the wedding? What will you do when you've married? She said, carry on as I am. I mean, it's not yeah. why I'm doing it. But I do get a little bit disheartened when I see these sort of wedding packages out there.
1: It's awful.
0: Yeah, there are some bride and groom packages, but it is predominantly about the bride.
1: Yeah. And I've talked to a few people about this recently, because I got married last year, and I've heard it's so similar for so many people when you go and try- dress, the person showing you the dress and trying it on with you will often say to you, you know, you'll know, you need to get it tailored just before the wedding because you'll probably lose weight before the wedding, or I'm guessing that you're going to lose weight before the wedding, hmm. or you should get the next dress size down. And the number of people who even said to me, knowing my belief and knowing that I work in fitness, oh, you must be being really good because you're getting married soon, or what exercise are you doing, or are you doing more exercise and dieting? It's just surprising how there's this expectation that you're not already good enough and that for your wedding, you need to look different or weigh less. Yeah. And it's because everywhere we look, that is the messaging that we're getting it, whether it's from magazines or adverts or Protein Worlds disgusting bikini body advert, it's always about weight loss. How can we ever think it's anything other than that if that's all we ever see?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we completely agree. What kind of message do you give to a client if they come in and they say they want to lose weight? Do you accept that or do you try and talk about the other benefits? How do you handle that situation?
1: Yeah. So when someone comes in for a first session, they have to do a 90-minute consultation with us. Uh The first half an hour is literally talking through why they're there. So we go through their goals and say, you know, why are you here? What are you expecting to get from your sessions? Why now? And that's always really interesting for us to find out, yeah, what their motivation is. And yeah, I'd say maybe 60, 70% of people coming in say, I'm going on holiday, I'm getting married. And then we always start that conversation straight away So we starts saying look we're weight inclusive so we don't care what you weigh in here I mean we can weigh you at the beginning we basically need their weight for their heart rate monitor that they have to wear during their sessions but we begin that conversation that we are not promising weight loss and weight loss is not the goal for us we will get you as fit and as healthy as possible weight loss may well be a positive side effect if there is weight to be lost, trying to reframe it. We have lots of techniques in the studio. So on the wall, we have a whiteboard with little Polaroid shots of all the clients and we do benchmarking exercises. So kind of like fitness tests that they do each time, each session. And we put it on the board, their PB. So some people are motivated by trying to beat other people. Some people like to beat themselves. And we're always trying to just bring everything in the session back to you know, last time you were here, we got you running at 10 kilometers an hour and your heart rate was 85. Today you've ran faster and your heart rate was less. So we're just trying to brainwash women into thinking about their performance and slowly the emphasis on weight loss does start to go away but it takes someone reframing it for them because no one ever talks about performance. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of starts in that first session. We also do happiness scores. So we make them score some quotes on a scale of one to 10 with regards to how happy they are so that we can, in a month's time, double check that we're making them happier because there's no point if they're losing weight but they're more miserable so yeah it's not doing the typical weigh them and say okay how much weight do you want to lose great let's get started it's trying to find other reasons why they're there with us
0: yeah i've heard tony robbins say something either on a podcast or somewhere about goal setting and what people tend to bring you is a goal that they think you'll find acceptable but what sits behind that is often something much bigger and much scarier and i definitely find that to be true in the consultations we do if somebody says to you, I want to lose a stone, two stone, three stone, whatever it is, very rarely does anybody say on the face of it anyway, why? I mean, I think you and I might after a while, but it tends to be that it's quite acceptable because people think, oh, well, if you're carrying a stone, of course, you'd want to lose it. Why wouldn't you? But what sometimes happens during the consultation or sometimes what another friend of mine calls the door handle moment where they're just leaving and it's, oh, and by the way, and then you hear what they've really come to talk about. I think doctors have that quite frequently. or sometimes it's when you start interacting and you get to know a client and you find out what really is is the objective. And quite often it's trauma, it's crippling anxiety, it's low self-esteem. Yes, that's linked with the weight, but it isn't really about the weight because you could take that stone off and it still leaves them with self-esteem problems. It still leaves them with confidence issues. It still leaves the trauma that may or may not be fully resolved. Do you notice that?
1: So 100%. So I have an online plan, and this was my way of putting together everything that we are actually doing in our sessions and trying to put that down on paper for people who didn't live nearby. Because what I found in the studio, the first studio that we have has been open for nearly four years now. Unintentionally, I Once exercising, they become incredibly open and our studios are completely one-to-one. So it's not like training on a gym floor where other people can overhear you or see you. You come into our studio, there's a sofa, coffee table, desk, and then there's all the equipment and it is only you and the instructor in there. Oh, I see. Okay. You know, we've become incredibly good friends with our clients. Some of them came to my wedding. I've been to their christenings, their kids' christenings. And what we find is as soon as you get someone exercising, they do start to open up more. And that's when we found that a lot of the people coming in wishing that they were lighter or dropping a dress size See, there was other stuff going on and maybe because I'm quite open about my mental health issues people are a little bit more open if they know you've experienced something similar but yeah often it's that you know maybe there's trouble at home their relationship with their husband isn't going great or maybe they're a new mum and they've got really low self-esteem like just absolutely destroying I'm not sleeping well enough and that's when it really started to reaffirm to me that there is a huge relationship between mental health and physical health Mm. if stuff's not going right in your head or you're not feeling 100% from a mental health point of view you will never be happy with your body and it's very easy to think if I lose weight then I'll be happier and it doesn't work that way yeah those issues are still there so we refer some clients to therapists we work really closely with nutritionists who are weight inclusive as well, like Laura Thomas, where she is not putting you on a diet. She's trying to work out what your relationship with food is. And so we have a really close knit group of professionals that we can refer people to. And we're not arrogant enough to think that if we help somebody lose weight, they'll be happier because it just doesn't work that way.
0: No, it doesn't. Do you ever encounter resistance, though? Women say, look, no, this is, this is important. Well, it could still be important to them. But I mean, how do you overcome some of the resistance? Because for a lot of women, sadly, it's ingrained in them that they need to look a certain way, carry a certain amount of weight, or, you know, or be very resistant to having a healthy amount of body fat. How do you, how do you work with that?
1: One of the things that makes me feel a little bit better is that what we find in the studios is it tends to be this Oh, it's so difficult to how to say this, but maybe the generation above me. So women actually who are maybe over 40 that weight is the one thing that they find that they can be accountable for. So weight is everything to them. They used to weigh this much, and now they weigh this much. Or before they had a baby, they weighed this much. Now they weigh this much. The younger generation coming in, I think, have been a little bit more flexible with the concept of not weighing yourself and judging how you feel based on like how your clothes feel or how strong you feel, how healthy you feel. The ones I find most resistant are the women who spent their whole lives calorie counting and their whole lives weighing themselves, and they they know they are heavier than they used to be. And they do not accept the fact that as you get older, things will change and you do not need to weigh what you used to weigh. I find they're the most resistant. And so, yeah, there are clients where, you know, it doesn't matter how many times we try and say to them, look, when you first came here, you couldn't jump on the box and now you're doing 30 box jumps in a minute. That's fantastic. And they're like, yeah, I don't care. I don't seem to be losing any weight. And, you know, you have to work out when to pick your battles. And I just have to sit back and think, you know what? Okay, as much as I might not be able to change their perception of their body, at least I'm making them healthier and reducing their risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And you can't win them all. Um, But I do feel that there is a, a change coming and people are starting to be a bit more flexible about wanting to feel good and not just weigh less. Yeah, there's
0: some good campaigns around with the Girls Gone Strong and some This Girl Can and various other things. This Girl Can. Did you have some involvement in the Girls Gone Strong campaign? No,
1: no. no. Okay. I've not even heard of that. I've heard of This Girl Can, yep. which I think is just amazing. I think there needs to be more photos out there and more images of what exercise actually looks like rather than the photos that advertising companies would have us think exercise looks like. Uh, yeah, I think it's great that there are campaigns working on that right now
0: yeah let's smash a few myths around exercise because there are many of them in a bound and two of the ones i come across is which i'm sure you do as well lifting weights makes women bulky muscle weighs more than fat of course it doesn't a pound is a pound muscle is simply denser
1: yeah
0: i mean smash the one about women getting bulky for me
1: yeah, so that's one thing I come up against a lot. I was born with a body very similar to my dad. So I've got very broad shoulders and I've got quite a muscly body. And I love that because I can throw things around and jump and, you know, I very rarely get injured. But what I often find with clients when they come and, you know, I say, what is it that you want? And they'll say to me, yeah, I want to be strong. And they'll do, people at home won't be able to see this, but they do something with their hand where they say, I want to be strong, but I don't want to be bulky. And they'll they'll point to me, they'll point to like my arms and, or they will actually say like, I do want to be strong, but I don't want big arms like you. And I find that a really interesting conversation because, I don't know where that perception of being muscly or being bulky is necessarily a bad thing, but also is genetics. Like I've been born like this and I will always look like this and it doesn't necessarily represent how strong you are, but it just isn't isn't really true. So there's a difference in testosterone levels between men and women. And one thing I try and say to clients is the images, when I say to them, you won't get massive by lifting weights. And they say, what about those images of female bodybuilders? These female bodybuilders, they work incredibly hard. They are so dedicated. They have teams of professionals. They have lots of supplements. They have lots of changes to their diets and they spend years building the bodies that they have. Do you really think that by lifting five kilogram weights a couple of times a week that you are going to look like that person? Yeah. But unfortunately, You do associate strong women with female bodybuilders because there are not always images of strong women. Even in adverts for gyms, it can often be just slim models. So yeah, it doesn't happen. We don't have as much testosterone as men. So hypertrophy is not as easy. It's possible, but it's not going to happen to the majority of women going to the gym a couple of times a week.
0: We've definitely got to get rid of that image of beauty being slim and not strong. And I think there is a movement towards that which is really encouraging to see but equally there is a long way to go and i think some of it's generational as you say but what are the other challenges you think women face let's say from society's expectations or other media which propounds that kind of expectation that women should look a certain way and be judged on how we look rather than what we think and say i mean the royal family being probably the worst example of that where the female royals are there to be looked at and the males do the talking and but, you know, that is still a great pressure in the business world for women to look a certain way.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's incredibly sad. We've all grown up feeling like as women, we can only be heard if we look a certain way. And I think for me, one of the big things at the moment that I have realised is that the fitness industry is very white, very middle class, and very thin. And I know very well that I am white and I'm blonde and, you know, I'm 31. And so there are probably opportunities that I've had that I am not sure someone who maybe would be in a bigger body or of a different ethnicity would potentially get. And I think that's one of the saddest things and something that we are really trying to champion at the moment, giving a voice to people from maybe from minority groups that don't get such a big say. Mm. Because even when you look at the fitness industry, what you tend to find is that men own the fitness companies or investors own the fitness companies. So we're thinking Matt Roberts, James Dugan from Bodyism equinox all of those big brands they tend to be very like male owned the women in the fitness industry tend to be fitness influencers yeah. so the ones that actually have a voice tend to be the young very pretty blonde white girls who maybe don't necessarily have all the qualifications or all the knowledge but they look good on camera And so even when you look at the fitness industry, the difference between the sexes is is quite unfair. So, yeah, there's definitely if you look good in the fitness industry, then you'll probably get further, which I just think is incredibly sad. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do as well. My favourite thing, you were talking about your yoga class and my favourite thing at the moment is cycle. Have you been to cycle? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I absolutely love it. It's like you're at a rave. (laughs) But it it does make me laugh. So I go there, I have my hair in a top knot yeah, because it's long at the top and short at the sides for the benefit of people who can't see me. Hair in a top knot, which always gets funny looks, which I don't understand. It's scraped up, it's out of my face. I mean, what's... It's so practical. It's very practical. (laughs) (laughs) And I wear a loose technical t-shirt. I'm not super loose, but... And some shorts, some cycling shorts because I'm there to get on a bike and cycle. And apart from anything else, cycle's in the dark. Yeah. But there's often... It attracts a certain type of athlete who goes there and it's a little bit about the look um, that's not a cycle yeah. thing it's just who it attracts yeah and I do find that funny because exercise really what does it matter what you wear it's you know, you're there to go out and do a job. But same for the boxing gym I go to. I'm there. I'm in there, I do a job and I come back out again. It's just not about how you look. But then there's not much about me that's really about looks and appearances. I'm just not really about that. Okay, let's just talk a little bit about in the last five minutes or so about your routines, what kind of stuff you like doing. So you've, you mentioned mental health. It'd be interesting actually just to discuss what you do to stay on an even keel with your mental health.
1: Yeah, so for me, one of the things I think that everyone should do is we see that there's one fad after another. So I always say, Tracy down the pub might say to you like, oh, I've just started doing boxing and I found that, you know, it's made my arms amazing. I've lost loads of weight. And so everyone else who's listening into that thinks, oh, I'll go do boxing then because then I'll look like her. Whereas actually, I quite literally on the day, decide what am I in the mood for? Mm -hmm. So like I said, if I'm feeling really overwhelmed or really stressed, I'll go to yoga because I find that, especially in power yoga, where it is quite fast, it matches my personality, where I like to be like, go, go, go. That's all I can think about in the yoga. So I can't think about work because otherwise I won't keep up with everybody else. And I come out a different person. If I've got energy to burn, feeling kind of stuck in the house all day working, then I'll go for a run and burn off some steam. If my back is hurting because I've got quite a bad back, then I'll make sure I do some Pilates. And That's why I think women should try as many different types of exercise as possible. Bouldering and rock climbing, my absolute favourite when I get the chance. It's like a real luxury for me if I get to go there because you feel so strong. You're doing problem solving. Everyone is very sociable there and that you'll be halfway up a wall and you'll think, oh, shit, I'm stuck. And someone will say to you, oh, by your right foot, by your right knee, go up a bit, up a bit. And it's so sociable. And again, it's all about function and performance. Um, so I think it's throwing yourself out there, trying as many different things as possible and not feeling like I'm going to go to cycle five days a week for the rest of the month. That's my challenge. Yeah. It's deciding on the day. What am I in the mood for? If you don't want to go spinning, go spinning to show and sit bite for an hour if you're dreading going but find something that maybe you do want to do even if it's gardening or taking the dog for a walk. So for me I don't put any pressure on myself. I never set myself goals like you must go do this many miles a week running. I will see how I feel and whatever my mood is, I will base what type of exercise I do on that. Yeah. Love it.
0: I want to talk a bit about consistency which for me is having non-negotiables. So I've got three non-negotiables. That's three pieces of exercise a week, two boxing sessions and one one cycle. And that's not because I must do this much a week, but it's just for my mental health and well-being yeah. and just to keep, you know, a little bit like a border collie if you don't find something for it to do, it'll <laughs> find something for itself and you won't like what it finds. <laughs> so I've got to, that's what I've got to do. And that's why I keep, there my non-negotiables in between that I'm training for the marathon I'll do a long run every two weeks just because I've got that base fitness I'm just not pounding the payments three times a week yeah I'll just do the long runs I'm running in fancy dress as Dame Edna Everage, so I'm not going quickly <laughs> <laughs> so I don't need to you know I run every fortnight a long run there's no pressure yeah it does the job but for me that's consistency and then I'll layer in other things around that according to how I'm feeling putting a lot of emphasis on recovery not just the sympathetic stuff the parasympathetic stuff what's your kind of key to consistency for you
1: Oh, it's a tricky one because in some ways I slightly preach the opposite. I don't necessarily think we should be too goal orientated. Mm-hmm. So clients will often say to me, what else should I be doing as well as coming and seeing you? And I'll say, well, if you want to boost your cardiovascular fitness, if that's what your goal is, then maybe you could try going out for a run. And then they'll say to me, how far should I run? And I'll say, Well, instead of giving yourself like a specific distance you have to run, why don't you say to yourself, you know, I'm going to go out for half an hour and I'm going to run when I'm able to and then walk when I'm feeling a little bit too tired or panicking and then run again and just kind of go out for half an hour and see how far you get. And then maybe next time you go out, see if you manage to go a bit further. Because one thing I'm seeing is people using their fitness trackers to almost as like another stick to beat themselves with. Like I must run faster. I must run further. I agree. And people not having recovery or doing exercise every single day. Like I must go to the gym five times a week. And it's almost as all of nothing. So for me, it's more being in tune with my mental health and knowing when I have left it too long but I think people like to have some sorts of guidance or accountability, knowing that, that if I say to them, you know, don't put any pressure on yourself, just go when you feel like it, that might mean for them never going. So I think it, it's finding that balance is not, I think your idea is great, three a week yeah. and then fitting other stuff in around that, but making sure there's no pressure if you don't manage to go to one of those yeah, and not beating yourself with yet another stick.
0: Yeah. And I think our different approaches kind of make the point that it's very personal. That's the personal and personal trainer. My business is very much about personalization. It's don't worry about what worked for Holly or what worked for me. Do what works for you. Finding the balance between being over generous to yourself and being over disciplined. Yeah. Interesting point you make about trackers. I normally wear a device called the Oura Ring on this finger here on the fourth finger of my right hand. And for various reasons, I've just taken it off for a week, partly because a knuckle was swelling and it was difficult to get on and off to charge it. So I've taken it off for the week, and I can tell you it's really liberating. I'm not tracking my sleep anymore. I know I I woke up this morning and it wasn't the best night's sleep. I don't need to know what percentage was REM and deep. I do find that information useful normally. It tells me my HRV, which is a great measure of recovery, but I'm just without it for a week. And when we finish recording, I'm just gonna jump on Facebook Live and do a little piece about the joys of not having wearable tech on me. Because I do, it's so funny, you see people running in circles, checking, you know, to make it up to five miles, don't you, looking at a Garmin. And people can get a bit bent out of shape and obsessed with that data. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice to just, particularly with running, I don't run with a tracker anymore. And if I'm running a race, I can tell from the paces how I'm doing. Or I just run as fast as I can run in that moment Yeah. and put the brakes on if I need to. I mean, it is much more liberating, particularly for running.
1: Yeah, and I think that one thing we're not always great at is thinking about how we feel. We rely on lots of other things to tell us that, like the activity trackers or the sleep trackers. And you know, in the studio we have people wearing a heart rate monitor so that we can check, you know, how hard they're working. But one thing that's always very interesting and a test I do at the beginning is I get them to, let's say, do a 30-second sprint on the treadmill. And at the end of that 30-second run, I'll say, Where are you on a scale of one to ten? That was really easy one. And at the end of that let me know you know where on your scale of 1 to 10 that was and people find it really difficult to tune in with how hard they think they're working and if you don't know how hard you're working how can you ever know if you're working hard enough yeah so i think those activity trackers they have a place but it should more be tuning in with how you're feeling how tired you are and how out of breath you are
0: yeah i agree let's finish on this what's your opinion on what makes a successful health transformation
1: Oh, what makes it? I don't think it's anything to do with the body at all. I think even if you came in one weight and two months later, you weighed exactly the same. For me, it's someone coming in who maybe doesn't like exercise or who has always had a negative relationship with it. And two months later saying that they genuinely look forward to coming to their sessions or that they've gone out and done a run of their own accord or that they missed not exercising Mm. and so for me it's about changing someone's relationship with exercise not necessarily changing their body yeah no I agree
0: completely I think obviously if you've been able to do that you've been able to help them tap into their why and for me it's something that you said earlier and we asked the same we asked three questions when we engage with somebody what's your intent why do you want this and why do you want it now and you said why now earlier on and I think if you can identify the why now then you can help people make that successful health transformation. I'm not crazy on the word transformation, actually, but anyway, I've used it. Yeah. (laughs) But we know what I mean is helping them to feel happy about themselves, to connect with exercise in a pure way so they understand it's for functional fitness. It's about changing how you feel, changing how you see the world and see your place within it. I think that's exercise, particularly for women. That's what I want to try and create for them. But Holly, it's been really interesting talking to you. And I think there's a lot of things that we slightly different approach, maybe, which is great, Mm. but very similar philosophy. So thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Your website is pilatespt.co.uk. Yeah. I will link to that. I will link to your book as well. So you've got a book. Just tell us a bit
1: about that. So yeah, so that's written up the training model that I created called the model method, which is like the perfect model. So it's hip pilates and then recipes that work on nourishing the body and are not about calorie counting. There's no fat content on the page. You don't know anything about what's in them. You just know that they're nourishing recipes. Yeah. And that's on sale now as well.
0: Okay, cool. I'll also link to your contact page on your website with social media links and to your podcast as well, which is called... The Strong Not Skinny podcast. Brilliant, there we go. (laughs) And I'll link to a few other things we've mentioned as well, to Cycle, to my TEDx talk. Okay, cool. Well, it'd be great to keep in touch with you. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com, and click on take the test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results, and a free 39-page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show, and if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.